KO here. You are on Turmeric and Tequila, where we are working to inspire positive, radical social evolution, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Drink that in, literally and metaphorically. Uh, today, we've got an awesome one, Dr. Lindsay Elmore. She's a rock star, pharmacist, wellness expert, yoga teacher, biz coach, influencer. She's been in several major publications, including uh, Reader's Digest, uh, amongst many other things. She is uh, a varsity yoga teacher. She's spoken in over 30 countries, five different continents. The resume goes on. She drops a wealth of knowledge bombs today around marketing and branding, getting to know your market and why and how, steps to take when you're a new entrepreneur, uh, checking into marketing. We get into equality and white privilege and our responsibility as humans with a microphone and a voice. And she even uh, leans in with a special quote at the end that uh, just really any of us that are stressed out, which is everybody, welcome to America, um, a quote that drives home. So I encourage you to listen in, get a pen, write down some of these quotes and tips and check out all that she has going on. She is out there as a true, awesome, positive influencer IRL. Enjoy. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. We have Lindsay Elmore, Dr. Lindsay Elmore, let it be known. Um, I'm super pumped for this conversation. We crossed paths via PodMax Live, the second round. Um, I'm going to have Lindsay share her background. She's a plethora of knowledge um, in several arenas of life, you know, wellness, uh, yoga teacher, business coach, influencer. Um, she's got just an incredible background. She's taught in over five continents, 30 countries. She's a fellow podcaster. Uh, her voice has been featured in Reader's Digest and Yahoo News, amongst many other things. She's a rock star. So, Lindsay, welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. Hey. Oh, thank you. You forgot to mention that I love both turmeric and tequila. Hey, so, well, yes, we are We are just, I, as soon as I saw the name of your podcast, I was like, I like her already. Yes, <laughs> yes I love it. So, wait, so did you, um, were you at the first pod, uh, Max Live? I was. Yeah. I've done both of them. I don't, I don't even remember. Oh, I do remember this came across in an email and I just thought, well, I'm brand new to the podcast game. I'd love to meet some other people that are sharing other people's stories. And it's been such a journey, you know, um, meeting people through PodMax. And when you get on people's podcasts, it, it's a very rare thing. The, this day and age that you actually spend an, unbroken amount of time relating to someone else. And I have found that the people that I've related to that I've jived with from PodMax have been some of the most inspiring and the most informed and the most caring and the most listening people that I've ever met. And so it's been a joy. I've loved doing it and I've loved all the podcasts I've done from it. So thanks for having me. Yes. I, I'm, I'm so pumped. I'm, I couldn't, to echo your statement, I was so impressed with the human that PodMax Live was attracting. And I saw it at uh, the PodFest Expo, um, which we did in Florida earlier this year. And the community around podcasting, I'm just I'm blown away. I didn't, I got into it to, you know, start disrupting some, I, I say graceful disruption, disrupting, uh, some things that are going on and start, start to bring some truth and, you know, eliminate some of the smoke and mirrors and marketing and branding and our reality. But I had no idea the kind of people that were going to be in the podcasting world. And I'm, I'm blown away. So when I heard your background, I was like, 
love this. And then I saw your podcast. I'm like, of course, of course this fits um, for what it is, but it's pretty cool. I think that all of us live such varied lives. And ultimately, I think that a lot of people that get into podcasting, I know for me, I completely vibe with what you just said. I wanted to create, you say disruption, I say I want to cast a vision for the world that I want to see. I want to cast a vision about how people can actually find fulfillment in this world that just seems so crazy and seems like it just slides through our hands and gets away from us. And how do we, how do we become more fully present in a way that brings joy and peace and love into our lives? And how do we edify people? How do we build other people up by sharing our stories of vulnerability of times where we felt weak about times where Lord knows as an entrepreneur, you know, I have fallen on my face a few times where I have made terrible decisions and not trusted my gut. But I feel like the more that we share our stories, the more that other people understand that imperfection is like the biggest beauty that we have in the world. And we're all so imperfect, but we're all here doing the best that we can. And that's all we can do. I I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, perfection and imperfection could be a whole podcast in itself because I think we get our ideas from, uh, what perfection is from marketing, branding, TV, our society, culture. Um, and that's a lot where I come in as a branding and marketing professional being like, oh, okay, well, the only reason we really think this is because we've been taught to think. So imperfection is, is really subjective. And, um, you know, OG philosophy, I say this a lot, is, you know, reality is nothing more than applied meaning. So everything around us really is made up. So if we can shift on what imperfect is and really embrace it, as you just said, like as our competitive edges, Um, and I like when you said cast a vision, really, you know, help young people and everyone understand that, yes, embrace those imperfections because that's, that is your uniqueness. And we have tons of everything that is the same. Um, please let your, we do, you know, I, I, I've always loved the phrase be you, everyone else has taken. And if you're someone who is struggling with branding, with marketing, in my personal experience, the only thing that sells really is authentic authentic storytelling. You know, um, Donald Miller in Building a Story Brand says it better than I can. He says that people only buy things because it solves problems for them. And so if I think about making myself vulnerable and sharing my stories of, I was in this place where I didn't like myself, where I struggled to get out of bed, where I suffered from bulimia for years and years and years. I used food to abuse myself. I tore my ACL. If I can tell you all of those crappy moments in life, when the guy broke up with me and I thought life was over, when I got fired from a job and I thought life was over, if I can tell you a story of I was here And now because of this series of steps, I have gotten to there and someone goes, I want to be there. Then all of a sudden, what I did along that journey becomes very influential and it becomes very much a, I I know her, I like her, I trust her enough that the steps that she provides for me on a journey, I'm willing to go on. 
And that methodology works no matter what you're trying to market. You know, if you're marketing clothing, well, you better be telling a great story about who made the clothing, how you treat them well, how you treat your employees well, how 10% of your profits go back to your foundation. Make it something that people can believe in. You know, I... I'm originally trained as a, as a chemist and a pharmacist, and I realized early on that there was something not right with the way that we are taught that chemistry and pharmacy and all of the things are supposed to work together. And so I started being like, okay, but wait, the food that we eat has to matter. It has to, you know, we would not have a a decades old mantra of you are what you eat Mm -hmm. if it didn't matter. And if I can take a step back and go, okay, well, the sleep that I get matters. The stress that I experience matters. The balance between the turmeric that I put in my body and the tequila that I put in my body, it matters because if one gets out of balance where, I mean, come on, if you got too much turmeric, you are a dogmatic, just health nut that nobody wants to hang out with. And if you got too much tequila, then you a hot buttery mess who runs the risk of some really bad things happening in life. So finding the balance and realizing that every person's balance is different is I think where authentic authentic storytelling arises of, Hey guys, I'm not perfect. I just drank some turmeric juice this morning and we are shooting three different kinds of tequila this afternoon and doing a tasting contest. And we're going to vote and you're going to tell us which one you like the best. That's real. That's real life. People want real life. Gone are the days of the infomercials at 2am that tell you your life is going to change overnight. The marketing still exists, but do you really want to be that person? Is that really who you want to be? Or do you want to tell authentic stories? Well, well, first of all, Lindsay, our official turmeric and tequila spokesperson hired right now. She's, she's, <laughs> I love it. And it's, you, you hit on so many nails on the head there. Um, number one, the people don't understand how savvy the consumer is nowadays and they can read into where was it made? Why was it made? Who made it? Why? I'm going to purchase a women owned business or a black owned business. Like there's such conscious consumers nowadays, which old school businesses didn't um, really identify with and some still don't, which is provide space for people like us to come in and start telling the truth. Um, and then really important around balance, which is so critical, and authenticity, which needs to be number one uh, in, in all these things that are, you know, really coming to the surface in this day and age, which is really exciting. If you can streamline somebody's process through, you know, our challenges, our hells that we've gone through, and you can say, you know, there is a better day ahead. And maybe here's three or four things you can do to streamline that process that I went through and, and share um, that wealth of intel of life. It's amazing. And then the overarching umbrella, I think, um, what I loved, you, you like personified what we do, um, you know, in our lives as, as business and we're here as business professionals, but really this is life skill stuff. Like, yes, it's a brand and it's first and foremost, it's who I am. It's what I believe it's, you know, who you are and, you know, in your wellness and your book and your, in your journey, we're, we're branding, we're labeling as this business thing, but really this is life stuff. This is us as human beings. Um, you know, I, I love that. And I, I think about what Simon Sinek said in his book, start with why, if you can think about your business pitches, business proposals, all, if you can think about that as being on a first date, 
that is a way that you can come across as not being just, I'm here to sell you something. Would you like to buy it? Um, because if you think about a first date and you, and somebody asks you, what do you do? Well, if you're here, you know, listening to this podcast, chances are you have something to sell. You have something to market. So when someone asks, what do you do? You can tell them the story of, I make this amazing pen. Do you want to buy it? This pen makes me rich. We can go ride in my Mercedes later. Or you can tell a story about how you help people to craft their own journals, how you produce materials that help people to remember their dreams every morning, to help them to understand where they're going for the rest of the year. You can be selling day planners, but you can tell a better story about it. You can tell a better story that's touching, that's meaningful. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And on that note, perfect segue, tell us you, um, I love that our natural convo flows without me even getting like into strategic questions, which on Tumor Gantila, we, we try to be strategically unstrategic, just like letting things focus. Authenticity while completely flawed is the base of our, uh, bread and butter here, our Tumor Gantila, I should say. Um, tell us about young Lindsay. Like, how did we get, I mean, you've got this plethora of knowledge and all this experience. How, give us like the, how we started out, how we got into what we're doing now from, you know, like grade school on. Oh my goodness. So I was always a natural born teacher, um, a natural born teacher, a natural born singer and a natural born dancer. I wanted to be the center of attention from, from the time I was young. I played school as a young child. I, um, I remember at my sixth birthday party, I got mad because the people at the party would not listen to my dance lesson. And this was serious. We were at a dance lesson. So I always loved teaching and I always loved learning. I went through some emotional ups and downs as a child. My parents got divorced and in first and second grade, I was like the only kid in my class that did not have two parents at home. And so that was very challenging for me. And that led to me not knowing in my young child brain how to process those emotions and how to deal with that, um, with that letdown, with that hurt, with all those things. That led me down a path where I just became a rebel without a cause. And anything you told me to do, I was going to do the opposite. I fell into patterns of bulimia. It was interesting. I originally did it not because I wanted to lose weight. I originally did it because I realized that it gained me attention. And as I said, I always wanted attention. And so fell into that pattern and that got worse and worse. Relationships with guys got worse and worse. And was this like I, high school? What, what age was this? This is middle. So the, the bulimia started, honestly, the first time um, that it ever, when I realized it had a name, I was in sixth grade. When the symptoms first kind of started, I was in fourth grade. So I was really young. And part of that, so moms and daughters listening, part of that was I had started my period when I was really, really young. I was only, it was the summer after third grade. So I went into fourth grade having started my period. And in, again, in my tiny brain, I didn't want to deal with that. And so I thought, well, if I'm sick, I get to go home from school, which helped me to deal with that. So moms who have young daughters, help them to understand because young girls don't need to be missing school because they're on their period, you know? So that was, so 
the the eating disorder was bad. The rebellion got worse. Um, the alcohol, the drug use started in, and it wasn't bad. I was an average kid, but I was just very, very rebellious. I go to college. College was an amazing experience for me. I felt like I had some freedom. And then I ultimately exercised my adult freedom for really the first time in my life. And I moved to San Francisco. That's where I went to pharmacy school. Pharmacy school is where I tore my ACL. Tearing my ACL opened my horizons. I learned about chiropractor. I learned about acupuncture. I started researching Chinese herbs. I started learning that, wait a minute, there's some, there's some rifts in this sheet that I'm seeing. And from there, again, I was always an achiever. I always wanted to be at the top of my class. So I then did two years of postdoctoral residency, which made me extraordinarily proud to be a pharmacist. And it made me extraordinarily proud for the way that I practice pharmacy, because I realized that the person in front of me is a person who deserves love and compassion and respect and has honor in their own life. And it, it opened my heart in a lot of ways. Um, after that, I got back into therapy for the second time in my life. I'd gone to therapy as a child, but I started back into therapy, stayed in therapy for like three years, just really continuing to open my heart, open myself up and continued to explore health and wellness from around the world got exposed to essential oils. And I know it sounds crazy, but I sat in my living room floor inhaling some essential oils. And I knew that my life was going to change and it completely changed within months of that happening. Since then, I have just been on this joy ride. I have been on this joy ride of what can I learn how can I teach people? How do I further my education by getting certificates? You know, I'm now a certified yoga instructor. I am certified in certain emotional release techniques. I am pursuing a certificate from the Institute of Functional Medicine. And so I've always wanted just to continue to learn more and give more and teach more because as I have come to realize the only person who can govern your health and wellness is you. You are fully in charge of what happens within your life. You may not be able to control the circumstances, but you can control your emotional reaction to it. And I think this year, you know, this year's been lots of learning lessons for all of us. And for me, I realized that once I relaxed and said, I can't control what's going on in the outside world. I know my opinions on the, what is going on in the outside world. It is not my moment to try to convince someone of anything else. Whatever the emotions that you're going through right now, I see them. I acknowledge them. I am grateful for them. They are valid. They are yours. They are not mine because there's so much animosity and hate right now that I just thought, I just want to continue what I've always done and continue to bring light and wellness and education and empowerment that you are ultimately responsible for your health as well as your emotional health and your business. You know, you can choose right now to be on social media all day arguing with people, or you can put your head down and you can work on your business. You have the choice. 
right? Well, and, and not one of those is mutually exclusive. Like everything intertwines together. Um, and in this day and age, as you just said, mental health is equal to physical health, um, is equal to the awareness of who's in your environment and then conscious of your own behavior. Um, so many things. And I, I, I what, what ACL did you tear and how did you tear it? I tore my left ACL. I tore it the first time I ever went skiing. You know, that those infamous lines, this is my last run of the day. Oh, yeah, that's a rule. You never say last run. I know. I know. Um, I, I was new. I, I, I'm from <laughs> Alabama. I was skiing, okay? Give me some props. Somebody should have told me this. Um, and so I am coming down. And skiing is scary if you're not brought up doing it and you're not used to snow and all these things. And my boot was clipped in a bit too tight so that when my toe went down in the snow, it just, it internally rotated the nose of the ski back around me and tore my, tore my ACL. So, but ultimately I, have to give so much gratitude for that injury because it remember me saying how when I first started throwing up it was because I wanted to be sick yeah. this put me back in a position I had moved away from home I was from Alabama I moved to San Francisco and this injury put me back into that moment of now I am sick and I knew how to relate to that and my mother is um, a, a, a excellent nurse. And she had always taken such good care of me when I was sick as a child. And she did the same thing when I tore my ACL. So it, you know, she flew out when I had surgery and took care of me the whole thing. So it, it still put me back in that space and it allowed me to move on from that. It allowed me to mentally process like, oh, I don't have to be sick to have worth, to have my mother's love, to care for myself. I can care for myself on a daily basis to ultimately help prevent this from happening in the future. And so I met a shaman while that was all happening. And she asked me, she asked me, why did you need this injury? And it took me years to formulate that answer. But once I realized that was that was the emotional process I was going through, and it actually took a physical break in um, in my life to bring that into my awareness. And and now, okay, heaven's above me. I've heard it. I yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> It's that's so funny because I actually I tore my ACL, my left one in college. Um, uh, I was a D1 lacrosse player at George Mason University, shout out. And I was on turf and my foot stuck and it my knee just twisted. And it was in outside of that, we had just I'm from Denver, Colorado, so skiing was we were good there. Uh, I had just um come from University of Denver playing, all my family came out. I had two great games and it was like running on such a high, no pun intended, and then went back to Virginia playing UMBC and tore my ACL that game. So it was like super high to super low. And that injury for me, uh, quite different experience of yours, absolutely universe being like, you have some lessons to learn. And it was, it, you know, it took away my identity, lacrosse player, this is what I worked for. And I went from like lacrosse high to like l- loss of identity, questioning, who I am, what's going on. I lost like 25 pounds because I was just depressed. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was a very, it was probably the pivot point for me, similar to you of what's going on, what do we need to learn from, what's the breakdown breakthrough. And that was the initial 
us getting into like health and recovery and I saw medications and I'm on no way of your level as pharmacist, but I've been around the block enough to know with injuries and recovery, how much gray area there is. And you, like you just said, really have to be so responsible for your own health, even if you're not a doctor or nutritionist or what have you. Um, for sure. You got to get to know yourself and what works you because we're all so different. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of marketing and branding in that game that you have to be uh, prepared to consume that world in a certain way. Otherwise you kind of go down a rabbit hole of a lot of wrong things. You know, again, not to, not to keep going back to Simon Sinek, but he is just uh, such a wise person when it comes to how do we take authentic storytelling and make it and make it a part of marketing. And he says, look, there's two ways you can get people to buy things. You can inspire them with your story or you can manipulate them. And what you are talking about is one of those manipulations, those aspirational images of, you know, I want to be just like that person. The, 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 the got milk campaign is just a perfect example of aspirational imagery. If you drink milk, you will look like, gosh, you know, whoever. The the, basketball star model, yeah. Yeah, the models, the Olympians, the this and that. You will look like them. You will be as accomplished as them. And yet we take a step back and we go, wait a minute, dairy is like the most inflammatory food that we have on the planet, arguably. We know that it's linked to excessive mucus secretion. We know that the the dairy industry is um, cruel in a lot of people's eyes. We know that a lot of people are allergic to, to to cow's milk. And we also know that cow's milk is the perfect food if you really want to be a fat cow as quickly as possible. And so the marketing message doesn't match. You know, we see so many manipulations. Eight out of 10 pharmacists agree that this painkiller is not addictive. Well, those eight pharmacists may be complete idiots. You don't know who those eight out of 10 dentists are or the nine out of 10 Olympians. You know, these could have been the Olympians that came in 400th place. You know, it could have been a lot of different, a lot of different people giving that advice. And I remember when my, uh, when I was young, my grandfather told me, because we saw one of those commercials that had that persuasive marketing. And I said, Ooh, we need to get that. Um, and he's like, why do you want to get it? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't remember my rationale. It was nine out of 10 dentists agree that this dental floss is going to be the dental floss that changed your life. And he said, he said, Lindsay, marketers do not care if they lie to you. Yeah. And that really took me aback because I, Up until that point, I blindly believed everything I saw on TV. But now we just simply have so much more information that you can't fool people as easily and you shouldn't try. You shouldn't try. Well, I think, and that's what we grew up with, where I think that was the culture of like, it's okay, work for some of these big companies in big food or big beverage or whatever. And it's, that's the culture. Like it's, it's okay to be, you know, this way. And, you know, now thankfully, like the upside to documentaries, social media, um, what have you, it's exposing these truths. And there's a major asterisk. I like what you said around, um, you know, influencers. I don't, I actually really dislike the word influencer. And I actually printed shirts that said influencer on and I was passing out the people that I think 
are influencers, but don't necessarily like strive after the notoriety. Um, but people don't want to be influenced. They want to be inspired. They want to be, and, and from a whole space, not inspired to do something again, like you just said, because nine out of 10 Dennis said so. Um, but because they saw someone's story and then they really wanted to be like them from a genuine space. And now with the transparency and the lack of filter because of social media and the ability to research some of these things, our young humans are reading labels. They're asking questions. They know, you know, again, where it was sourced, who bought it, what the manufacturer is like. Um, and they can just really dial into what they want to do. And I think they'll spend their money, even if they have less money, a smaller budget, they'll still be conscious on, you know, I'll buy a $5 locally made juice versus 14 Capri Suns that were made. Who knows where and who knows what is in it. Um, I, I completely agree. The word influencer is so overplayed <laughs> right now. And I recently read a book called um, From Individual to Empire by Laura Bull. And she says, look, the number of social media followers does not govern your influence. How many of you grew up in a small community where the mayor or the local preacher or this one teacher within the school like made the school run? Those people are influencers. As you said, they're not after notoriety. Like that teacher is not looking to be the teacher who teaches homeschool moms online how to do a new experiment every day. She just wants to make sure her one school runs correctly and that it, the children get education. You think about celebrities that never had social media following. That did not make Johnny Cash or Elvis Presley any less of an influencer. Elvis Presley has been dead for decades, and yet his legacy lives on. His movies still sell. People still quote Elvis and sing Elvis, and it's first wedding dances. Elvis still has influence. You can have... I think about my cat. I have a cat and her name is Beatrix Kitto. And she is on Instagram under the handle, um, not the puppy, not the puppy has 1300 followers. Wow. She has about, okay. Go cat, go. <laughs> she has like 900 people that follow her every single story. She has, you know, she will get a thousand likes on a random ass photo that I took. And it's one of those things. She's only got 1300 people, but a thousand of those people are listening. That's so conversion right there. That's pretty good. I know when I first launched her page, I was like, this cat has like a hundred percent engagement on her page. So it's not about how many people you have. If you have 10 people on your mailing list, on your email list, which marketers out there, email is not dead. It is not dead. Do not forget your email list. If you have 10 people on your email list and every single time you have an email, 10 of them open it and eight of them purchase it, you are in infinitely better shape than sending an email to a hundred people yeah. where 10 of them open it and eight of them purchase it. You're in way better shape. It doesn't matter the size of your audience. It, it matters how much they know you, like you, and ultimately how much do they trust yeah. your message to tell them what they need for whatever Whatever, whatever you're selling, just remember, what problems does your audience have and what solutions do you have to solve them? And how do you communicate that in a really clear 
manner. Clarity is everything. If you can't tell me what your business does in a minute, if you can't tell me what your business does in a sentence, if you can't sum up for me what you do as the CEO of your company within within 10 seconds, I'm lost. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. You know, I'm completely done. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's, it's quality over quantity big time. And I think people get lost because again, we're traditionally thought like numbers, 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 and it's really not, that's not how it is. And I struggle with some of the companies I work with where, you know, they just want to see conversions and ROI and all this. And that's great, but you can't always show ROI on influence and impact on humanity and, and some of these things. And that's why KO Alliance, my consulting company, we, we really have always worked with mission driven companies, but now we're solely focused on working with mission-driven companies so they understand because as a business person, it's really hard to grasp onto some of these things that cannot be measured. However, the long-term strategy, you always see it. You just have to be able to like hold on for, you know, longer than six months or whatever it is. Um, but the right people get it. And again, that's the same thing as the emails. It's quality over quantity. You don't need everyone. You just need your tribe and your community. And it's more than enough. You know, my brand is so varied and in the past year, one of the best things that we have done is create email preference forms because we realized that people were getting emails about, about health and wellness education, about essential oils, about yoga, about plant-based cooking, about retreats, about giveaways, about this and that and the podcast. It just went business coaching. It went on and on and on. And yeah. so we finally said, you know what, let's find out what people actually want to hear about. So, you know, I may send out an email to a hundred thousand people. I may send out an email to 12 people, but it's the right people. It's yeah. the people who have actually said, tell me more about this. And I do want to go back to what, one thing that you said that so many people are driven by numbers and ROI and this and that. Um, it's not just what you said, that you got to be in for the long game. The long game is where it's at when it comes to branding and marketing. And remember, branding is something that you want to talk about for the next 20 years. Marketing is something that you want to talk about for the next three months. Marketing is a, we have this thing going on. Branding is, this is at our core, who we are and what will never change. These are our values that will never fail you no matter what next marketing step happens. If you do not spend the time going deep into people's needs, their fears, their, their, their problems that they have in their life, if you expect some high dollar marketer to come in and give you a $50,000 pitch that they're going to redo your homepage and they're going to redo your user experience. And then guess what? They're going to start running Facebook ads. Guys, please don't believe those marketing pitches. You know, it, they, I hear people come to me all the time because I, I have some rules about running my company and one of them is I will not waste your time and I will not waste your money. So people come to me and they're like, I want business coaching. And I'm like, okay, well, we can start at this price point and then every hour after that goes to this. And they're like, that's outrageously expensive. And I'm like, bring me back your next pitches. Yeah. And people get these insane pitches of like, we can do all of this in a month and it's just going to cost you $50,000. And I'm like, how many people do they have working on that project? Two. Oh, there is no way that this happens overnight. And 
as the CEO of the or the founder of the company, you better be out there waving your flag all day, every day, because if you don't believe it, nobody else is going to believe it. Yes. Well, but I think, again, that's what, you know, some of these bigger companies that go to traditional marketing avenue and they have their PR marketing, whatever branding company that they've always used. And if it's not a hundred thousand dollars, you know, the psychology around price point, then they don't take it seriously. So you've got to, you know, us on our end, we've got to maneuver and be truthful. I mean, like, yes, I'm one human or maybe I'm 10 or whatever. And here's what I can realistically do. Well, meanwhile, here's a firm. They've done the same things. It's plug and play and it's very archaic and antiquated, but it's 100K and this is what we've always done. There's automatically more value put towards that higher price tag just because psychologically, well, a cost more, it must be worth more. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting space, but I will say I have deep faith that our younger humans or newer companies are my budget strapped ones, which always, you know, it's great because you learn all the things and you know how to filter because you don't have money to waste, know how to work with the right people. And that's where I think opportunity lies for people like us us. Um, and then on the grander scale, as I'd say, graceful disruption, we can start promoting the right products and the right people and people doing things differently. And that's a slow process, but I do think that's where big disruption comes in. I agree. I mean, I think that you've really got to take a step back because if you're working with a huge marketing organization, you are so right. You're going to get the junior executive who it's their first job versus you work like someone like me, or you work with someone like Kristen. And it just becomes one of those things where it's like, okay, well, there's just one of me, but you're actually not going to have to ask somebody else how do I write email campaigns? What do, you know, what do my email opt-in strategies look like? What do my abandoned cart strategies look like? Like you're getting it all from one person who's like, well, crap, I've done that before and I've made a lot of mistakes before and I would like to prevent people from making those mistakes in the future. If you are just starting out, the biggest thing I can recommend to you is do not spend one single penny on branding, on marketing, on sales, on a website, on a person, on anything. Do not spend a penny on anything until you know who is your ideal client. You've got this problem. You have found an amazing solution. You have to next step dig really deep into who are the people that have this problem? What are their fears? What do they, I mean, even before you get to their fears, just what do they Google? What are they watching on TV? What blogs do they look at? What are they pinning on pin boards? What do they want to see imagery that looks like? Think about things like if someone were to describe my brand or my product in 10 words, these are the words I would be the most honored to hear back because then that governs everything. And only after you know, ideally who you're selling to, then you've got to think of your positioning of why are you the person to lead them? Why are you the person to lead them? Then once you have that, that's when you start getting into, okay, well, to re to, to raise brand awareness. That's where we're going to start our blogs. And we're going to have these free downloads that are behind an email wall. We're going to have all these different steps that ultimately lead people to find our products. And really only after you've put in some significant effort, do you want to start running Facebook ads? You know, I 
there are some brands that can pop right out and crush it with ads. You know, I think of the the pajama service or the pajama maker Lunia. Lunia came out and their ads were so persuasive, so good. But what they did was they didn't tell you. Imagine if Lunia has come out, and if you don't know Lunia, go go check out their ads. They're really good because they didn't come out and tell you, these are the best pajamas that you're ever going to get. They came out and told you washable silk that yep. makes every night a dream. Yes, I need washable silk that makes every night a dream. Like you could it's not- It's expensive, let it be known. <laughs> Yes, it's expensive. Let it be known. I loved it. I, I bought the stuff. I bought Christmas presents from them. It was excellent ad campaigns, but I guarantee they put a lot of money behind them. Well, Guaranteed. I was, yeah, I was going to say, there's 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 a couple arenas here. And if you do have venture capitals and you do have the funds and that is your focus, it is a little bit different of a conversation if you have 100K a month to blow or to invest, I should say, on digital marketing campaigns. Because there is an algorithm and a science and a strategy behind that. However, if like most companies, 95%, I'd say they don't have that, um, you need to seek out. And I think respect on both sides of that table, genuinely, uh, you just, that's just not the norm, but you can learn both sides. I just think there is so much beauty behind the startup that's got to do grassroots and learn it. Is it slower? A thousand percent. Um, and hopefully you work yourself to the VCs and everything else where you have a hundred K to kick to marketing every month, but you do want to learn. And I honestly think those startups are some of the best brands because you learn about yourself. Like as a human, you grow and you evolve. So does your brand and you're really hands-on with your consumer. You're tied to the ground level. You see things happening. You can maneuver so much better than, you know, a Reebok and a, where it's, we have these ideas on the ground, but it's got to go through 50 steps to get to the top and you don't see a change until two years later. So yes. there's a couple of arenas. Um, but again, with transparency and our young humans knowing how to dig, those things need to happen faster. And our big guns are starting to see like, Oh, we got to take a note from our startups because the old school ways are not working anymore. Thank God. Totally. Absolutely. Completely agree. But so I want to jump back to you. Tell me about like first business and then I want to hear, I'll, I'll let you run with what you think is most impactful, but, um, pharmacist angle, the book, um, you know, your business, how you're coaching now, yoga, let, tell me like a little, what, what were the steps that it happened and then lean into whichever one you think you want to share the most. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I became a pharmacist first. I then became kind of that wacky pharmacist that knew as much about supplements and, um, and, and natural products as I did about medications. I then discovered essential oils and I realized that online there were a lot of really cray cray opinions about essential oils. And there were a lot of, um, misleading marketing claims. Don't do that. Or the FTC will be knocking at your door. And so I really wanted to figure out how do I put some real science behind essential oils? And then I said, okay, well, how do I talk about supplements as if they were, you know, as I, I started to learn how do I talk about things as if they were pharmaceuticals, you know, what is the dose? How often do you take it? What are the side effects that you need to look out for? Is it safe in children? Is it safe in pregnancy? Is it safe in pets? I really started to just conceptualize and learn more about all these supplements that people take 
on the regular. So from there, I was given an opportunity to go work for an essential oil company. I did that for three years. I was then offered the opportunity to either remain an employee or to become an entrepreneur. And I was like, well, I know the answer to that one. And so I became an entrepreneur. And um, when you first leave your job to become an entrepreneur, um, fear is a really powerful motivator. You know, like how am I going to pay rent is a very powerful motivator. So I got up every morning, 5 a.m., wrote uh, my first book, realized at some point along the way that I really wanted to start sharing more about my cooking journey. So I started sharing more blogs about cooking that has completely morphed into its own website and foodstagram. And now I help people to go plant-based for the first time and maintain some semblance of plant-based for a lifetime. I then started getting, because of my expertise as a pharmacist, my expertise in essential oils, my expertise around plant-based eating, I started getting invited to all these yoga conferences. And so I took my first yoga teacher training, which was only a 50-hour course. I realized that when I these yoga conferences started getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I'd all of a sudden be on stage in front of hundreds of people, and I'm like, I don't know enough to keep all of these people safe. So that's when I went and did my 200-hour yoga teacher training. And then just in the past year, I realized, well, dang, I've been an entrepreneur for three and a half years. I built a social media audience from scratch, never bought a follower, never paid for a like, really. And people started asking me questions. How do I do what you did? And so I started my first ever business coaching and we've done one session. We're actually booking now for our second session, which starts in early September of this year. And in that business coaching, what we really look at is who are you? What are you selling? Who are you selling to? And most importantly, why does anyone care? Why does anyone care? And once we establish those things, then we start looking at how does your website function? You know, how does your, how do your messages come across when you're sharing with people? We start looking at email campaigns, branding palettes, all the fonts, all the everything. We look at inbound content strategies. It morphs and grows. But where we really start is how do we establish who you are? What do you sell? Who do you sell it to? And why does anybody care? So we started all of those things and it's been such a huge reward because whenever you start something new, of course you don't do it perfectly, but I have learned so much with the bumps and bruises along the way. And then doing my first ever business coaching course really learned a lot about wow, you got to think back to those very first original struggles that you had as an entrepreneur where you literally have like $500 max to invest in anything. And so it helped me to get back down to my roots, helped to make it more simple because now I'm at a point where I have this, you know, generous marketing budget that I work with every month. But Back in the day when it was just me sitting at my kitchen table with my iPhone and a computer, I didn't have anything either. And so I think that Brand Strategies Lab is my business coaching um, platform. And that is just, it, I want to take people through the steps and help people avoid mistakes along the way, especially costly mistakes that 
you know, could could have easily, easily, easily been avoided had I trusted my gut and had you trusted your gut along the ways. All of those things could have been easily avoided. I think that's amazing. And, and there's so much to unpack there because like yoga is a thing. Plant-based eating is huge. Um, I, I've worked closely and I've been a long-time athlete. So protein's always a conversation. Supplements are always a conversation. All, so much gray area within that. Um, but the baseline of this, it sounds like to me, like what I'm pulling out is, you know, kind of learning to get back in touch with yourself and lean into that intuitive uh, energy and, you know, guiding light. Uh, are you, would you consider yourself, have you tapped more into that? I don't know if you're spiritual or religious or you're just big into energy, but I, can you unpack that, like your personal view on all of that and how it plays a role in your life? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that ultimately in life, there, there is no right choice. There's no wrong choice. There's only your choice. And you may look back on it and go, yee, that was not the right choice at that time. But in a way it was because it taught you something. It got you somewhere. And I am more spiritual than religious. I do definitely believe in God. Um, I think that every religion out there is kind of attempting to do the same thing. So no matter which prophets you believe in, we're all just trying to understand why are we here and why do I matter? And every human that we interact with is just asking, do I matter to you? Do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you understand my problem? Can you put yourself in my shoes? And so for me, as a pharmacist, one of the things that I think has been lost from medicine in America is the human aspect of it. The human aspect of how do we care for one another? And 2020 has definitely been a year where there have been some significant challenges to human connection. And I just have realized if I can trust that God has everything always working in our favor, um, if I can trust that, it makes the here and now like, well, I can't control what's going on in the world, but I definitely can control my emotional reaction to it. And I can surrender into, well, this is just God doing something I don't understand. And I definitely think that godly energies come in different vibes. And so, you know, we think of, there's a reason we say heavenly father and earth mother. And that is because in more archaic religions and some ancient understandings of wisdom of religions and spirituality, you know, God above was the disciplinarian, the one who's really at play right now where we're, where we're having all of these things that we don't understand what's going on, but yet if we hold tight to that and we draw up energy from the earth and we really root down and understand that there's not just this like, wait, what are you doing up there kind of energy, but there's always that nurturing, comforting, come back home to mama kind of energy in the world. And, you know, my concepts of, of faith and religion have definitely evolved over my lifetime, as I'm sure they have for many people. I still, um, I still am a member of the Primitive Baptist Church that I grew up in and love the Primitive Baptist Church. I love, you know, a lot of people have asked me because it's a very conservative church and um, some of the social um, 
some of the social rules, some people are like, do you really believe that? Is that what you really believe? But there are some things definitely within the church that I believe. And one of the things that I always held on to when I was younger is that this was one of the few, if only Christian churches that I had come into contact with that believed that people of every faith, every color from every continent regardless of whether or not they had heard of Jesus or any of it, had an equal opportunity to go to heaven. And it was always one of those things like, I loved the concept that, uh, some people hate the concept, but go with me. The concept of predestination, a lot of people think, oh, that means that, you know, it doesn't matter what you do in life. You can be as bad as you want to, but you still can go to heaven. To me, the concept of predestination was always about God exists inside of you without you having to ask, without you having to be worried as a child that if you don't accept God into your heart, you could go to hell. I've always thought that was very a strange thing to teach a child, that God would punish them in that way. And I also thought it was a very strange concept if a population of people had never heard of Jesus, that they were all absolutely destined to go to hell. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. There's a guy in that population who rises with the sun and takes a deep breath in as he raises his hands over his head and goes out and hunts a meal, brings it home to his wife who he treats well and respects and and they have their children who they love and care for. I just I just loved the idea that God has a special place in his and her heart for all people on on earth. Um, and so I loved those concepts. And so I've still held tight to some of my religious beliefs from when I was younger, but they've certainly morphed. And I find value in so many religions. You know, when you really get down to it, religion just comes down to, can you be kind to your common man? And can you draw that kindness from a spirit that is bigger than you, I really think is what it comes down to. I, I, I really think it's our original marketing and branding, like the OGs of, you know, this is God, this is what it means, and here's how we're packaging it. And then it was repackaged into something else and, you know, and uh, exposure. So in one country, it was this and that, and it all kind of morphed. It was like, it's telephone to not to make something really important, super simple, but it was all, you know, uh, subjective, but it was like one experience transcribed into many other. And then it was, you know, telephone was passed on. So I agree with you. I think it's really getting down to how do we be a good person? How to make the world the better place? Uh, how do I ask some of these questions? Why am I here? What am I doing? And then kind of acting accordingly. And, you know, it is so much of your environment, exposure and environment, your education, your access to opportunity. Um, obviously in 2020, we're, we're unveiling many inequalities, which I mean, finally relate to the game on a lot. Finally. Of- yay. Yeah, <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting to see how much has changed in even six months. And I'm in, there's so much going on that's so hard, but I'm so excited to see what's next because I do think a lot of, um, let's say ill-mannered ways of living are going to be disrupted and people are going to be called out and they're going to have to, they're going to be exposed, um, for lack of a better term. And I think the truth will rise. And I think it's, it's happening right now. Um, in whether I always say, you know, God, universe, Madonna, whatever you believe in, I'm a huge Madonna fan. Uh, <laughs> 
however you love want. it. You know, as long as it's a guiding light to making you a better person, I'm here for it. Um, yeah. On that note, can you tell me a little bit about how you are being intentional with equality with your business? I mean, I, everything I've dug through seems very open-minded and I see you touch on, um, you know, touchy conversations around maybe not being able to say I saw one of your posts or uh, biracial marriage and things. Is there, is there a way that you're in being intentional around um, diversifying your message or providing equality or anything like that with your messaging and businesses? Well, I was always the child who, so I was born in the week of acceptance and that, so I'm an Aquarius and so I, I'm an air sign, but I also am on the Pisces cusp. So I've got water. So I've got a lot of flow in me, which is interesting because I went through so many times in my life that, uh, because of anger and because of hurt that I had become very rigid. But when it comes to diversity and inclusion and seeing humans as humans, it's always something I've inherently understood. And I've gone through some times in my life where I've been surrounded by people that did not believe those things to where I put up barriers to continuing to believe those things. But now that I'm fully an adult, I know that it is part of my life's work and part of my part of my distinct blessing that that God just put innately in me to see people as people and nothing stops me from acknowledging and admitting my own internal racism. Like if I see it in myself, I'll call myself out. I don't, I, you know, I would rather do that. I'll give you, I mean, you know, up until a few weeks ago, I was uh, living in Harlem and that opened my eyes because I don't think that many white people live primarily among black people. And it really helped me to see the humanity of, of, of people. And I remember one time I was walking down the street and I see this guy and he's got cornrows. He's about six and a half feet tall. He's got on a motorcycle jacket that's black, white, and red. He's got on, you know, big wide leg jeans. He's the kind of guy that a lot of people will clutch their purse in an elevator across the street. And even I was kind of like, Ooh, that guy might be trouble. Fast forward three seconds and you hear this small child, like six-year-old child coming around the corner and she's like, daddy. And he's like, Hey baby, how was school? And we got to do your homework tonight. And you know, let's go home. Mama's making dinner. And I was reminded, um, of some words that, that Michelle Obama said, which are profound words. And she said, I want to take back the idea that normal black families don't exist and I just thought, whoo, that's me. And so I'll call myself out on that. And so it's not necessarily intentional. It's just the way that I've always been. It's, it's the respect that when a patient walks into my pharmacy and asks for clean needles, I don't give them a hard time about it. If a patient walks into my pharmacy and asks for emergency contraceptives, I help them figure that out. And I talk to them about how they're going to be nauseated probably throughout the day. If a patient comes to me and says, I'm transgender and I've had a blood clot and I'm continuing to take my estrogen therapy, despite that, I say, great, well, let's 
talk about the, the signs and symptoms that you're having a blood clot. It doesn't matter who the person is in front of me. I take my oath as a pharmacist very seriously. And that means that I have to put the welfare of humanity and the relief of suffering as my primary objective. And that means that it is not my job to cast judgment on someone or to tell them that they should be making a different lifestyle choice or to tell them that the partner that they chose is incorrect. It's my job to just say, I am here to provide the most compassionate care that I can. And I'm here to help you live your healthiest lifestyle, whatever that means for you. And so it's not intentional. It's just always been something inside of me. I don't know where it came from, but I, you know, I just love the diversity of life and the diversity of people. And I, I love a good success story. You know, I love seeing people turn their lives around and, you know, the, the homeless guy on the street that I happened to give 12 cents to, nothing would make me happier than seeing them five years from now and then being like, oh my God, that 12 cents led me to buy like a half a bottle of water. And then I did that. Nothing would make me happier than that. But that means that I have to humble myself. And I also have to swallow those hard pills and take that hard medicine that as much as we like to think it, we weren't all dealt equal hands. We weren't. And if I can say, hey, Lindsay, stop judging the fact that this woman is 22 years old and has six children and stop saying, well, she should have this and she should have that and how dare she this and how dare she that. If I take a step back and be like, oh my God, you know, this horrible thing happened to her when she was young and she didn't have this kind of support. And then that happened. Listening to those stories of humanity, it just, it, it allows me to cast a vision for the world that I want to see. It allows me to cast a vision to where every person is at peace with humanity at just be at peace with humanity and understand that sometimes what's going on in people's lives is generations of trauma and of lack of access and of pain and of all kinds of things that were completely out of their control. You know, um, I remember back when I was in college, there was a 12 year old sitting beside me and I said, come on, it's time. You got to come on and read to me. And this poor child could barely read a sentence at 12 years old. And I just remember getting so driven and was like, okay, well, if no one else has taught this child to read up until this point, the least I can do is show up for 45 minutes twice a week and sit with him and let him struggle through it because that might change his life. That might change his life. And you never know what the kindnesses that you offer create within the universe. Keep going out there and keep being kind, even if you have to look inside of yourself and go, I judged that person initially because of whatever you did, whatever you, whatever your internal biases are, acknowledge it, tell it, thank you for trying to protect you. And then ask that person to tell you their story. And the more that we can do that, the better off we all are. 
So, so well said. And uh, I agree, just like supplements or religion or conversation around influencers, it's about exposure. It's about the environment you grew up in. We absolutely, you know, have not all come from the same place with the same equal opportunity. Systemic racism is alive and well. We are all programmed a certain way. We're consuming these messages and we have to unprogram so much, particularly as white privileged women um, and really leaning into being like, okay, time out. What is, what's real here? What's really going on? What have I been told? What do I need to learn? What do I need to check in? Um, and that's life skills for, you know, nutrition, racism, equality, uh, you know, normal business skill. I mean, these are all life skills that need to be applied to everything. And baseline of all that, truthfully, as you just said, is empathy and open-minded. Because oh, I mean, yes. every human has a story. If you talk to the, you know, the homeless person you said that you extended 12 cents to or what have you, and you really unpack what's going on, unquestionably, you'll not only learn, but you will then, it's one more step of an empathetic piece of exposure of saying, now I understand you. And I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't understand this before, but I also want to help you. And the next person, perhaps you see the homeless you as a, here's my experience. Can I help you with this? And, the, and they maybe identify, or maybe they have a different story, but it opens up our uh, capacity to care and our capacity to be humans. And I say this to many companies I work with. I'm like, stop what you're doing. Humanize the brand. It's okay. If you have an opinion about this, like if you want to talk about being equal and a lot of companies want to shy away from political statements, and I say all the time, no, no, you need to lean in to what you want to say. And I know that's very forward thinking and it might deter some things, but I, I just believe that we have to take a stand on equality and open-mindedness and talking about what's true because that's the only way to really uh, evolve quickly. Like we need this evolution to happen right now. And that's why I think we are in the space we're in. Um, I completely agree. And I listened to a podcast the other day that so shifted my mind and it was about how mental health gets destroyed in the prison system and how mental illnesses at baseline even more destroy your mental health when you enter the prison system. And the, the psychiatrist that was speaking said something so profound. She said, there is no other disease state that you would arrest someone to ensure that they got care. You know, you think of somebody who's having a psychotic break out in the middle of the street. They can't find a bed in a hospital because all the psychiatric beds are full. They go back to the street, even after being picked up by the cops and the cops say, well, you know, it, it's better for them to come to jail where they have mental health care versus leaving them on the street. Imagine thinking that about someone with breast cancer. Well, you better arrest her because jail's where she's going to get treatment. And the other thing that she said that was so profound is that in Norway, they realized that their incarceration system was not working. The U.S. incarceration system is not working. And in Norway, they hired counselors who when men, this is a men's prison, when men were arrested, they come into prison and the first thing that they do is they have an interview that goes through what got you here? You know, are you addicted to drugs? Do you not have a safe place to live? Are you being manipulated and controlled by another person who we need to ensure that you do not go back to that system? Are you in massive amounts of debt? Do you need education on the job training? It goes through this whole system of what 
goes on that leads people to end up in prison. The prisoners in this particular facility in Norway are also given basic human respect, which humans in the U.S. prison system are not. The wardens of this prison, they consider that the incarceration itself, the lack of access to your friends, to your family, to your job, to be able to go to the grocery store, that is prison enough. They don't don't then further degrade you by having random bed checks where they tossle all your stuff around and throw your private journals, or they don't put you in isolation for minor things and then feed you what's called prison loaf. They don't further degrade your humanity by forcing you to go to the bathroom in full view of other people. The incarceration is the punishment. There is not further degradation of your humanness because ultimately if you've been inside of a jail, you realize that most people are not the mobsters. You know, they're not hardened criminals. Most people are the people who had an ounce of weed on them. You know, they got caught with an ounce of weed or they got, they beat their wife one night and it was an ugly scene, but dang, do they regret it. It's people who make mistakes. And so I think the more we can inject humanity, the better off we all are. I completely agree. And it's, um, I think America can take a few notes from a few countries on many levels. Um, voting coming up, show up to vote. We'll leave that political conversation there. Uh, but I agree. And it's, it's getting back to that. And honestly, mental health is such an important conversation, um, for all genders, all races, religions, everything. It's such a huge piece of the puzzle. Uh, even on Michael Phelps is, is coming out. I think it's a book or he was on, um, the news last night around mental health and talking about his depression coming off, you know, being an Olympian and winning all these medals uh, to, to people in jail, to our young humans, you know, trying to navigate youth and mental health. It's such another conversation that's really late to the game that we've got to explore. And the earlier we can have these conversations about being a human and maybe get to kiddos when they're six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, and you said you're experiencing difficulties as a young human. Um, I, myself as a collegiate athlete and losing my identity from a, a injury and serious, but minor and all things relative, uh, if we can have that skill set early on and navigate around prison system or navigate around some of these things that we've approach as an adult that we can do as a kiddo, I think it's, it's critical. Um, yes. and I, I, I can't say enough about intentional mental health conversation and questioning pharmaceuticals, questioning what I'm eating, questioning energy, essential oils, yoga practice or athletic practice or fitness practice, how all these angles of life um, are really important that not one side of it can really be neglected for the whole, you know, the whole human approach, if you will. Um, Absolutely. It's, it, it's kind of crazy. Well, so now that you've got all, you know, these boxes checked, we've got books, we've got business programs, speaking, education, what's next? Like what is, ex what's still exciting to you that you want to do next? Is it further podcast or give me goals? Oh, I just want to spread so much love, you know, in the universe. Um, that's my ultimate goal is to get people to understand that health and wellness is in your hands. No matter if you are facing an illness, no matter if you're facing an injury, no matter if you've been facing a chronic disease that you've had for 20 years, 
you can transform that. It's, it may not be easy and I'm not making any crazy promises. There are some things that are done that cannot be undone. That's the way of life. Um, you know, 2020 has definitely put death in a lot of people's faces. And I think the greatest thing that I have realized is just that lack of fear of death this year. And so if I can get more people to, as the sod guru says, recognize their own humanity and recognize that mortality is part of our humanity, the more that we wake up each day joyful and empowered and ready to do something new. I mean, right now I'm on a functional medicine journey. I also, 2020 was the year that I made a conscious choice to get back into practicing pharmacy. And so I moved to a state where I am licensed to practice. I've applied and been approved to start taking students on a holistic pharmacy um, rotation. I'm ramping up the number of people, the number of patients that I'm seeing for patient appointments. It's just all I want to do is just continue to evolve, you know, wherever that takes me and whatever that means, if that means that I'm helping brands to really get their websites dialed in and really help them to connect with people, great. If that means that I end up seeing patients, you know, eight hours a day for the next six months, great. Whatever, whatever that takes me, I just know my job is to keep learning and to keep teaching and to keep teaching with such a sincere and deep and heartfelt kindness that it attracts the right people to me. That's yeah. all I can do. I love it. I, I think, um, I think it was Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. So I love, uh, seeing people like you, you know, grab the mic, get in front of the camera, what have you, be a quote-unquote influencer um, that takes really wholehearted responsibility within that, let alone in your practice as a professional doctor and advising accordingly. I think, you know, that influence is so critical. And, you know, as you said, you know, reading to a small boy that is otherwise illiterate and involving that journey, that's true points of influence. Um, so I'm excited to know people are doing things uh, like what you're doing and it's people like you that are doing them and putting it, you know, for people to see. It's, it's really Thank you. Yes. Well, our mission here at Turmeric and Tequila is quite literally to um, positively and radically help social evolution happen and forward it along. And I think it's through people. I think it's through influencer marketing, if this is how we label it. And uh, I'm excited to see what happens next with you. And I'm excited to see what avenue takes off. And what I really love, as I mentioned before, was it's these different points of you know fueling and uh, mindfulness, physical practice, movement. Um, it's all these arenas that you've tackled in some capacity. So I, in our humans, are multifaceted. So if, if any one of those speaks, that's fabulous. And if it's an entrance to all the things, even better. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah. We all march forward and do our best every day. Let's just keep doing that. Yes. And, and while we didn't, um, I want to mindful our time will wrap up, but while we didn't fully unpack any one angle, I want to say of the business, the baseline, what I love on turmeric and tea is that we get to get to know the person behind it. So I always care about the business and what you're doing, but really it's about what's, who's the human behind the curtain making, you know, the things move and what's going on. So I appreciate you sharing your story, your vulnerability and, um, hopefully people are like, you know what? I like this girl. I'm going to dig into the yoga. I'm going to dig into the plant-based eating. I'm going to dig into the business consulting, um, and see what she has going on because I identify with the human first and then the mission. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate being on the show. It was so much fun. 
we got we can go on for hours um we could we'll, please check out Lindsay's base uh maybe we'll check in in like six months to a year i like to do follow-ups and be like all right where are you now what's going on let's um, do it where do we, I'll of course post all your info, but where do um, people find you? Hit me with, you know, the book, the Instagram handles, anything you want to share, hit us with it. All you have to do is head to lindsayelmore.com. You can find me. And if you click the button on lindsayelmore.com that says, let's work together, it will give you access to all the different brands and all the different ways that we can work together. And you can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram at Lindsay Elmore and on Pinterest at Dr. Lindsay Elmore. That's D-R-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Boom. I love it. Um, streamlining, making things easy. I love that. Gold star there. Uh, Thank you. Any any parting words, favorite quote? I know you laid down some deep knowledge here and quoted some awesome humans. Any final word you want to give out there? Oh my gosh. Okay. So one of the quotes that's come up for me so much recently is an Eckhart Tolle quote. And I got so mad when I heard him say it because it was so true. And he said, stress is nothing more than wanting the present moment to be something that it is not. So stop trying to change the present moment. And all of a sudden you will have no stress in your life. I mean, I needed to hear that on so many levels. So thank you. I know, right? When he said it, I was like, don't you talk logic to me, Eckhart Tolle. <laughs> it's so true. And, and so much boils back to stress. And then I, I, we won't dive back in, but, you know, getting into mental health and then, you know, medicine and supplements. I think if you can just de-stress just a little bit, it is a game changer. Totally. Uh, but we're learning. We're learning. Uh, Lindsay, will I see you at Podmax 3 coming up here August? Oh, see you there. I wouldn't I'll miss it. Shout out to them. Yeah. Well, okay. So if you want to head to lindsayelmore.com slash BSL, that stands for Brand Strategies Lab, BSL, you can sign up and save 10% and you just use the code turmeric and that's A-N-D tequila. And don't forget that R. There are two R's in the word turmeric, people. Bring back the R. Bring back the R. <laughs> I was talking to a girl this morning. She's like, I'm looking at Instagram. I'm like, it's turmeric. I guarantee you're spelling it wrong. Cause it is, it's, I, I mean, I speak fast. So, um, we're out here to help brand shape turmeric as well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> well, good luck to you. We'll chat soon. And, um, man, just keep doing what you're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to call you a fellow female entrepreneur. It's, it's an important Hey, thing. thank you. I appreciate it. We'll talk again. Yes. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time and don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.